Will you introduce yourself to the church in case, you know, because you have multicolored hair. So in case they don't remember, your name is? Eden. Eden. And your name behind the mask is? Angie. Angie. So we have Eden and Angie helping us this morning. And we're going to be lighting three candles today. So we're going to light, we're going to light this one, this one, and then finally the pink one. And these are the Advent candles that we used last year when we were meeting together through a screen, virtually, all right? Who remembers what this first candle was? The candle of? Hope. Hope. All right, there will be a quiz at the end. And No. And the second candle is the candle of? Peace. Peace. This is the one we did last week. And then what's the candle today, do you think? Joy. So we use the pink candle as the candle of joy. So as I read this, will you guys go ahead and you can decide who lights each one, those three candles, all right? You can share, you can hold it together if you want. We light the third candle of joy as a sign of the coming light of Christ. Advent is that word that means coming or arrival. So we are preparing ourselves for the days that the prophet Isaiah spoke of in chapter 35. He said, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Good job. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with singing. I know it takes a lot of finger strength to use this one. Wow, you guys... It also takes height. Yes, that's true. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Let's give them a hand. Quiet your hearts as we go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Jesus, we first and foremost thank you for coming to earth to be and live as one of us. We thank you that you can identify with the joys and the struggles that all of us experience. And you went one step further. You laid down your life on our behalf. And for that, we are eternally grateful. It's the reason that we are here today. It's amazing that, God, you would send your son. And it often makes us just think, who are we? Lord, that you would come to us. You have visited your people and you have redeemed us in your Son. Father, as we prepare to celebrate the birth of Jesus in the next couple of weeks, will you make our hearts leap for joy at the sound of your word? Move us by your Spirit to bless the wonderful works of your hands in this world. Father, we lay before you all of those opportunities to rejoice that were shared already. We lay the opportunities to offer prayers. We lay those prayer requests at your feet. We trust that you hear and will respond. God, give us faith to believe that in your timing and according to your will, you will work out every decision every hardship, every next step. Father, will you receive our worship the rest of this time here this morning? We ask this through him whose coming is certain and whose day draws near, your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ.
Amen. In church, it's always a joy, whether it's the Sunday we focus on joy or not, to be able to share this story once again. If you have a Bible with you, uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1 this morning, and we'll read some sections from that gospel. I want to begin with uh, a question, and I know some of you can probably answer yes, but has anyone ever been to Yellowstone National Park? Yeah. If you've been... Yeah? I see some hands raised, and... Yellowstone National Park is, it's an amazing, beautiful place, especially when there aren't lots of people there, which is almost never. But nevertheless, it is always a beautiful place. And this is the, one of the gates going into Yellowstone, and a lot of people like to stop there and get their picture taken, and we've done that at different national parks and uh, it's, a, it's a great place. There's endless views and mountains and valleys and waterfalls and the iconic wildlife, you know, bison. And uh, it's almost like every year we hear somebody, you know, gets too close and stupidly tries to, you know, run at them or touch them. And, and that doesn't always end up very well because bison don't really like you when you do that. And one of the best things about Yellowstone is its geysers. It's full of geysers. Now, obviously, most everyone has heard of Old Faithful Geyser. That's the most famous of them all. And about 20 times a day, it shoots water up and steam almost 200 feet into the air. And it's a very dramatic place. It's usually full of people, um, except if you're there in, in a little bit of the winter time. And it's a great example. But Yellowstone is not just the geyser of Old Faithful. In fact, the entire park of Yellowstone, you've maybe heard this on the news before, sits on top of a giant supervolcano that if, if, not if, when it decides to erupt, hopefully far into the future, it will take out much of the United States, believe it or not. It is a massive ancient volcano. And all of this pressure and heat underneath, just like if you've gone to Hawaii and you've seen the lava bubbling up at those volcanoes, all that pressure and heat has to go somewhere. And in Yellowstone, it goes into the various geysers that they have. Some of you might have had the opportunity or you've seen a picture of the Grand Prismatic Geyser or stream. This is the largest uh, sort of hot spring in the United States. And it is it is a beautiful, this picture doesn't even do it justice. It's even more beautiful in person. And all of those colors are from the various minerals that get superheated by the heat and the water as it comes bubbling up to the surface. It's a beautiful place. They've got all these little walkways that you can go on. And there's also another, there's so many types of geysers there. There's this third kind called mud pots. And those are those sort of like gloopy, bloop, bloop, they keep bubbling like a, like a, big pot of nasty oatmeal, almost. And they're kind of muddy. And ironically, some of the animals really like the mud pots. Like here, this is a bison just sitting next to one of the mud pot. They're like little volcanic vents of superheated mud. They like the warmth and that space. All of these things, especially 
thinking about geysers to say this. Geysers are something that remind me of joy. That sometimes joy comes bursting out like a giant just torrent of emotion and you just are overcome like old faithful. And other times it's kind of more of this like steady sort of burbling or burping feeling Maybe not heartburn, but, you know, kind of uh, something from deep within where you can't quite put your finger on it, but you just feel a sense of joy. And just like Yellowstone, there's different ways that joy is expressed in our life. Eventually, it will overflow and find its way out into the open, just like those geysers. No matter what influences it, The source of joy is deep within us. In our series, we're focusing on these four main traits, and we do this a lot of Christmas seasons, the traits of hope and peace and joy and love. And these are, you know, characteristics that really embody a lot of who Jesus is, the character of God himself here on earth. And today we focus on this characteristic of joy. At Christmas time, we know that it's, it's that time where we celebrate Jesus coming to earth to be one of us. And since God is here with us, we can experience true joy amidst our various circumstances. Because you know as well as I do that not everything is roses and sunshine. Not everything is fluffy unicorns, no matter how much we'd like, we might like fluffy unicorns and rainbows. Joy is that deep source, that well within us that we can experience because God is here with us. Now, there's a lot of joy throughout the Christmas story, but it's important to remember that joy isn't separate from pain and discouragement. In fact, much of joy is actually birthed or born in those experiences that we have. We see this especially in two of the primary characters in the Christmas story, Elizabeth and Mary. And Luke actually starts his story before Mary and Joseph, a little bit earlier than some of the other Gospels. He starts with a prophet named Zechariah, and his wife, Elizabeth. Let me read a few verses from Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. So he was descended all the way down the line of priests from Aaron, way back in the Old Testament, Moses and Aaron. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. So you had both of these two people descended from sort of the priestly line that God had set up way back in his law in the Old Testament. Here's the important point. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive And they were both very old. By the way, the pictures um, 
that I'm using this morning, they are from a group called the Lumo Project. And they actually filmed a lot of the Gospels and then made all of these pictures kind of of the production available. And it re- they really tried to be uh, culturally relevant and as accurate as they could be in their uh, artistic portrayals and depictions of the gospel story throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So this is the opening verses in Luke chapter 1. We meet those two, Zechariah and Elizabeth, both of those priestly family lines. And it's ironic because this is a time characterized by corruption, by people grabbing for power, Not just any people, but a lot of the major religious groups. People in power were trying to maintain power. Does that sound a little similar to perhaps another era, like our own? And in this time filled with corruption, Zechariah and Elizabeth are a stark contrast, a completely countercultural way to live. It says, that's why it's so important that the Bible describes them as being right with God, righteous before God blameless. They were faithful people. The Bible declares them to be so. They are also old and have never had children. And then suddenly and miraculously, everything changes for them. The archangel Gabriel shows up to Zechariah while he is doing his duty serving as a priest And basically, the angel says to Zechariah, in essence, guess what? You're going to have a baby. And he's like, you got to be kidding me. I'm a little bit too old to be a dad. And it's unbelievable news. They've waited for the fulfillment of God's promises for a Savior for so long that suddenly this message that they too are going to have a baby, and not just any baby, but a prophetically important baby who will be the one that announces the way of Jesus before Jesus arrives. Who is their baby who will be, be born? John the Baptist. This news sounds almost too good to be true for Zechariah. How can this be, he says, since we're so old? The angel replies, because you didn't believe the news, you won't be able to speak until the child is born. And so he's trying to communicate this incredible news, not just to his wife, but to the world. And he has to use charades and a little, probably a scroll of some sort to like write down what he wants to say. If he's a priest, we're assuming he probably was able to write in some capacity. And that's how he's supposed to communicate. Yeah, the fir- yeah he was the first, he invented charades apparently. You know, it's like, I don't know how you charade. I'm old and yet now we're going to have a baby. You know, that sort of thing. It seems Elizabeth is quicker to the uptake as My experience has shown women often are quicker to believe the news. And when she becomes pregnant, she says this in verse 25, the Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. 
Now, in that day and culture, as in many days and many cultures, having children was very important. It was seen as a huge blessing. And being childless was, on the flip side, seen as a source of shame. And often you were ridiculed, or people would kind of talk behind your back and say, oh, you must have some sort of unconfessed sin in your life. You must not have faith. And unfortunately, my friends, people still use those arguments today, and they are completely wrong. And not only wrong, they are anti-gospel to even believe those things, and yet sometimes people do. People would have unfairly questioned what's wrong with them. For Elizabeth, this would have been a lifelong source of pain and having to endure the whispers and glances. And understandably, their own hopes as, as a married couple would have faded through the years as they tried to have a child and couldn't. Which is why I think it's so important that Luke included that note that God considered them righteous in his eyes, even called them blameless. Reminds me of another story when Jesus, and talking about the, uh, the, the blind man, and who sinned, this man's parents or him, and he said, and neither is the case. This man was born blind so that God could show, I am God. There is no unconfessed sin here. It's for a greater purpose, even if no one else can see it. It doesn't negate the pain that she must have been feeling, and he as well, their entire life. But finally, her eyes are opened to see God's bigger picture, the scope of God's plan. Now, if we were watching this like a movie, this is the point of the story where you'd suddenly see the little transition a la Spongebob. Meanwhile, in Galilee, something similar is happening to another woman. Although this woman is a teenager, barely old enough to drive a camel or something like that, maybe 14 years old. But when Elizabeth is six months pregnant, the angel Gabriel makes a reappearance this time to Mary, delivering an even more miraculous announcement. Mary is told, do not be afraid. She's a little bit afraid at first. That's understandable. And she asks a question of how this can be when she's told that she will give birth to a son. And the angel gives her an answer. Somehow, she receives this news with amazing grace. Far more grace than most people would be able to show at, say, 14 years of age. It's some sort of ability that was almost like granted to her to be able to accept this news. And she says this, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. This is verse 38. Think of those words after the news that she's just received, her age, her upbringing, to have that kind of level of not just maturity, but also spiritual maturity. It's, it's truly amazing. This news, however, would be difficult to explain to everybody else. <laughs> hey, mom and dad, by the way, guess what? You can imagine how some of those conversations would go. You can imagine the, the news around town. 
So it says that she hurries off to a town in the hill country of Judea. For if anyone could understand her, it would be her relative who happens to be Elizabeth, who also has just received or is pregnant with her miraculous baby. And in the midst of all this, this is where we see joy erupt in the moment from two women who have each experienced Elizabeth for a very long time and Mary for a very short time, experienced how are we going to communicate this good news that we've received? What will people think of us in our situation? It's a past backdrop of discouragement and disgrace and grief and suddenly joy comes bursting through for these two ladies. Luke tells us, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. I don't know how comfortable that was, but apparently the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. She sees Mary there and she says, but why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Spirit-led words. I'm sure. And what a relief this, to receive this kind of welcome and greeting it must have been to Mary to hear these words in that moment, perhaps as unsure as she was. Even if she was faithful, she still, her mind is still a, a flutter at what all is happening right now. She didn't have to explain herself to Elizabeth. She got it. She didn't have to worry about being understood or walking past the next group of people at the local coffee shop or whatever they had back then. All she had to do was say hello and Elizabeth knew because she was filled with the Holy Spirit. Even her growing baby knew and leaped within her. That was just the affirmation and encouragement that Mary needed in that moment. And her joy came bursting through as well, and she gives total thanks to God. If you have a Bible, often this is called Mary's Song, or Song of Praise. Let me read it for us this morning. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. She's always certain to express why she is blessed. Because of God. Not because there's anything inherent in her. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation... He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. 
He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. She is not missing the gravity of this moment, that there is huge historical precedence here, and all that she has learned in her short years would come rushing back in this moment, appreciating all that has come before her to get to this very moment. Friends, this is one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture in the entire Bible. And on one level, it's kind of a celebration amid miraculous events. But on another level, it's a little simpler for us to understand. It's two women sharing a deep understanding and affirmation that brings forth joy in the midst. There's so much that we can take away from this. And I don't really want to overcomplicate it this morning. I want to highlight just a couple of things for us in our own experience with joy. The first is something that we don't always believe. It's okay to be joyful and happy. It's okay to be joyful and happy, even if you don't like those little candies, you know, with the smiley faces on them. You don't, you don't even have to like those, but it's okay to be joyful and happy. And for some of you, this is kind of like a no-duh kind of statement. I know this. But for others of you, this is a little bit of a subversive kind of thing that might make you a little uncomfortable if you think about it. Because we've probably all heard joy described in contrast to happiness. And I might have even done this before as well, or described it in these kinds of ways. Happiness ebbs and flows and is based on our circumstances. And that's not wrong. It does. Joy is a deeper quality and more sustaining. And that's not wrong either. But often in Christian culture or the Christian bubble, the two get split, irrevocably so. So that happiness is seen as worldly and less valuable or fulfilling. And joy is more spiritual, more important and fulfilling. Does any of this ring a bell? In fact, this is some of how I learned it growing up. Like happiness was somehow wrong. But joy was that deeper thing that you need to aim for. And a lot of where you fall on that spectrum probably depends on your personal past and your spiritual history. But in actuality, the Bible doesn't make as nearly a distinction like we do today. There's a lot more overlap between these two than we give it credit for. It's more fluid. They're different words with overlapping meanings. And they might have slightly different nuances that are shift over time and culture. But the words used in the Bible are far more similar than we give it credit to. So one of the things I did this week is I actually looked up and the uses of joyful in the Old Testament and New Testament and then the uses of happiness in the Old Testament and New Testament. Now, I know we don't have time to read all this, but joy is mentioned in the Old Testament hundreds of times in so many different ways, 
jubilation, joy, exalting, being merry, uh, lamenting, wailing, shouts of joy, noise, even war cries are seen as a form of joy. There's all these different factors. In the New Testament, joy takes a, a slightly more condensed view. Most of the time when you read joy, it comes from the word joy. But some of the other definitions, be glad, exaltation, leap for joy. So there's tons of meanings of this word. And then when you go to the second word, happiness, happiness in the Old Testament also has so many different uses. It shows up in tons of verses. Be happy. Blessed is the one. Often the word happy and blessed are sort of interchangeable in the Old Testament. Praise. Strength, adore, it has all these different nuances that it carries. And in the New Testament, it has one. Be glad, rejoice. There is far less distinction that the Bible makes between happiness and joy than we make here on earth. Doesn't mean they're, they're exactly the same. But it's okay to want to be happy and joyful. It's okay to enjoy and experience those emotions. There is great joy in this Christmas season, of course. And it's good to embrace and celebrate that joy. But to those of you that find yourself driven by obligation or busyness or guilt in this season, do you know that it's okay to actually stop and pause and embrace the things of this season that bring you happiness as well. That that's not wrong. Sometimes we think, wow, I'm not being spiritual if I'm trying to, if I'm just enjoying the happiness of this season. I don't think that that's correct. To those of you who find Christmas to be painful or a difficult season this year, and for some of you this is a hard season, know that God sees you wherever you are on this emotional spectrum this year. You know, your longing for happiness and joy is actually a desire that God implanted within you from the moment of creation. It's a desire that he wants us to experience, to experience that deep joy, but also happiness in the moment. Joy is a reflection of God's own nature, so whatever words best fit for you this year, the most important part is not just the experience, but who is the source of this joy? Who is the source of our joy? The Lord God Almighty. Because of this, joy is our strength. That's why it's an essential part of the Christian life. There's a great example of this in the Old Testament story of Nehemiah. We looked at Nehemiah this summer when we were in the park. And Nehemiah was that leader who got permission from the king of Babylon to return from exile, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and, in, and indeed the entire city. And that's what the king of Babylon thought that he was sending Nehemiah back to do. And that's what happened. But this was more than just a return to rebuild something physical. It was a spiritual reawakening for the remaining people of God. 
In chapter 8, Nehemiah records that he brought all the people together and they read the ancient law that God had given to Moses. It had been a long time since they had done that. And when he did that, he called the people to remember and return to their relationship with God. And when he did that, the people began to weep. They realized how far off track they had gotten. And some were tears of joy from those who remembered days gone past. And others were tears of sadness as they recognized their guilt and how they had drifted away from God. But here's the beauty in the midst of this scene. It's a verse that sometimes gets skipped over. Chapter 8, verse 10, Nehemiah says, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Only that last part makes its way onto plaques or paintings on the wall. But there's a deeper context of helping the people to understand the gravity of this moment. That in the midst of this joy of the Lord, which is their strength, they can enjoy the, the pleasures that are around them that God has prepared and given to them. Celebrate. Enjoy it. This is a time for happiness. God is not only restoring both our city, but also our hearts. He is the source of our strength, the very joy of the Lord. Just as it was for people in that day, it is the same for us today, that this is what fuels us and sustains us for the long road. When you are discouraged, when you are experiencing pain and struggle, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, all of the above, our source of happiness, joy, and fulfillment comes from Christ himself. The Apostle Peter describes it like this, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I like that phrase, inexpressible and glorious joy. It sounds like the kind that finds its source even deeper than our pain, which is real, or our sorrow or hardships or discouragements that weigh us down. An inexpressible and glorious joy is that deep well that we draw upon no matter what we face. It is a well that is provided to us from the Lord himself. Now, I'm not suggesting that this is like that song, don't worry, be happy. That's, we're not talking quite like that. That's not the kind of joy that we're talking about. We're not talking about putting on a plastic smile and fake it kind of joy. Sometimes the joy that comes from the Lord is like old faithful. It just comes bursting out of us suddenly. and We almost can't explain it. And sometimes it's that slow bubble at the surface, maybe even imperceptible to others. But it's just that, that, that little bit that allows us to keep going forward. Church, wherever you find yourself this morning, let me remind us that the joy of the Lord can be felt and experienced no matter the circumstances 
there are some circumstances that it will be a lot harder to really feel that deeply. That's that time where we have to almost lean into it even more to draw from that deep well that God has provided for us. That leads us to the last idea for today. Joy allows us to see the bigger picture. Since I talked about Yellowstone earlier, I thought I'd choose a picture from our trip to Yosemite last year. And we had this beautiful picture of, uh, on the right-hand side. Anyone know what that place is? Half Dome. Actually, I mean, it's, uh, this is um, Capitan. This is Capitan. So I took a little section of it on the far, on the far side. That might be the, the only bit of the picture that you see and understand right now. That's the only picture. But there's a bigger picture in play and a bigger context. We talked about this when we looked at wisdom and understanding, that we aren't capable of understanding the whole story. And I don't know how it is for you, but for me, sometimes that is very unsatisfying to know. We want to see the bigger picture. And sometimes when we do, we're overwhelmed. And we still don't understand how God is at work. Joy allows us to see the bigger picture. It's a gift that can open our eyes to see beyond the circumstances. One of the words that shows up almost even more than joy is a form of it, rejoice. If you turn to the Psalms and throughout the Bible, the word rejoice comes up again and again. And then remember back to grammar school, what the little prefix re means. Like re- it means like return or come back to or again. So rejoice, it's that action or feeling of experiencing joy and delight. It's a decision or choice to return to that deep well of joy that God has given us within. Sooner or later, we're going to have one of those days. You're going to have one of those weeks. You're going to have one of those years. You might even have one of those decades for some of you. If that's you, you don't have to raise your hand. And in reality, we all have them more often than we like. And this is where that re comes in. That's when we must return regularly, daily, constantly to Jesus, our source of joy. Rejoicing refuels your tank. It restores your strength. It renews your spirit, allowing you to see the bigger picture, even if you don't like it. Although, who can't like seeing El Capitan in person? It allows you to reconnect with the Savior, whose birth is good news that causes great joy for all who hear and see and believe. In these moments, my friends, I find that turning to the Psalms is often what can bring great encouragement. So I want to read just two verses from Psalm 13 as we close. You see, Psalm 13 begins with the painful cry, How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? Now, that, isn't that a very real feeling, a real thing to cry out to God? 
And maybe you've had moments like that. The writer of this psalm certainly did. All those moments where all you can see is what's right in front of you, that little piece of the picture. But as the writer continues seeking the source, this is how the psalm concludes. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. This writer isn't feeling much happiness in the first verse, feeling alone and lonely, but continues to draw near to God instead of running away. And this very act stirs them to rejoice and find strength in and from God. Friends, this is how we find authentic and bountiful joy this season. This is how we can celebrate as we remember and return to Jesus, who came to be with us and give us lasting joy. Friends, let's pray. God, I thank you for the way that you created us. The fact that you have given us the desire to want to experience this deep well of joy within. And that you've also given us this desire to want to be happy as well. And so I pray for this group of people that regardless of the circumstances that we face, and there are many, and regardless of the heaviness that we may feel, and some people are feeling very weighed down right now, that your spirit might continue to infuse us and allow us to draw forth and drink deep from that well of joy. God, we thank you so much for the ability to come together today. Will you continue to receive our worship in these moments and in the moments to come? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.